everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Austin Common Radio Hour. I'm your host, Amy Stansbury, and today we're continuing with our little election slash explaining your ballot series, and specifically, we're going to focus on Prop 14. But first, a little refresher. As I explained last week, there aren't any big candidate elections on the ballot this November, so no elections for president, governor, or the mayor. At least not for Austin, anyway. Some smaller cities like Jonestown and Lago Vista are having mayoral elections this time around. But for most of you, you're not going to see any candidate names on your ballot. But that doesn't mean this election isn't super important. Instead of candidates, you're going to see propositions on your ballot. And a lot of them. There are 14 Texas constitutional propositions on the ballot this year as well as two Travis County propositions, Props A and B. Last week, we talked about Props A and B. You can find that episode in our podcast feed. Props A and B are both bond elections, which are basically loans taken out by the government to fund large projects. And they're paid back by all of us through a property tax increase. If you remember, if passed, Prop A will fund about $233 million in transportation projects, while Prop B will fund about $276 million in parks projects. And only residents of Travis County get to vote on Props A and B. Props 1 through 14, on the other hand, are statewide propositions, which means that all registered voters in the state of Texas will get to vote on them. And they're also not bonds. Props 1 through 14 are proposed amendments to the state constitution, and they cover a wide array of topics from property taxes to broadband internet access. And they've all already been passed by the Texas legislature, but in order for them to actually go into effect and become true amendments to our state constitution, they have to be approved by voters. So on today's show, we're going to focus on one of those propositions, Prop 14. Here's how it will appear on your ballot. Quote, The constitutional amendment providing for the creation of the Centennial Parks Conservation Fund to be used for the creation and improvement of state parks. End quote. So, <laughs> we have another parks-related episode for you. But again, remember, as a reminder, this is not Prop B. It's a separate statewide parks-related proposition. What can I say? There are a lot of parks-related issues on the ballot this year. Um, Anyway, to tell us all about Prop 14, let's listen in on an interview I recorded with Luke Metzger. Luke is the Executive Director of Environment Texas, an advocacy organization that works for clean air, clean water, clean energy, wildlife and open spaces, and a livable climate. Luke and Environment Texas were instrumental in getting Prop 14 put on the ballot. Okay, let's go ahead and give that interview a listen. Okay, I'm here with Luke, and we are talking about parks and uh, our Proposition 14. So this is all about something called the Centennial Parks Conservation Fund. Uh, Luke, just let's just give us a high-level uh, explanation. What would this proposition do if passed? 
Yeah, this uh, Centennial Fund would invest $1 billion to acquire land for new state parks. Um, you know, this is the 100-year anniversary of the state park system. And, uh, you know, advocates successfully convinced the legislature that, um, you know, we need to do more to plan for the next century of our state parks, uh, that our existing system just can't keep up with the dramatic population growth that we've experienced in the last few decades. You know, right now, um, uh, you know, there's there's huge need for, for new state park lands, both to meet uh, recreation demands, but also to preserve habitat for wildlife and to just set aside some of these critical ecological areas before they're lost to forever to development. And so it's uh, real exciting. You know, we, we think that's the uh, will be the, the biggest investment in nature in Texas history. Uh, so a huge opportunity we have this fall, this November. Yeah, you know, I am um, reading different coverage about this um, conservation fund. Um, it said that, you know, 2001 Texas Tech report estimated that Texas needs to add about 1.4 million acres of state parks by 2030 to keep up with public demand. Um, and in the two decades since the report came out, we've only added about 200,000 acres. And I would assume if that report was written in 2001, that the need is actually even much higher since we've grown so much. Um, it seems like our we've just had a hard time adding new parkland to our system. That's right. Yeah. For the longest time, the Parks Department has just been uh, scrapping for funds just to keep the basic system afloat. Um, you know, we uh, had a long, huge backlog of needed repairs for bathrooms and, and campsites and wastewater treatment plants. And so, uh, you know, for and then some legislative sessions, when you know the the there were budget cuts, you know there were contemplations of closing as many as twenty state parks. Um, so for yeah, for a long time, the parks department just you know just was doing whatever it could to duct tape you know the the system together, and weren't really in a position to uh, to add more land, and certainly didn't have the resources to add more land. And so you know the the lands we did add, you know, often were. Uh, donations, you know, uh, a result of private philanthropy, or, you know, we acquired some of our biggest wet parks now because of the Deepwater Horizon oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. You know, we got a huge settlement uh, that was used to acquire um, the Powderhorn Ranch along the De Texas Gulf Coast. So, but, we, but we've never had really kind of dedicated state funding for a long time. Um, you know, the last time we really had a you know, serious source of funding was from a 1967 bond um, that uh, invested $75 million uh, for land acquisition. And, and those funds were uh, real successful. You know, thanks to those funds, we were able to acquire uh, iconic parks like Big Bend Ranch and Lost Maples and, uh, and other state parks. But that money ran out in the, the late nineties. And so for the last couple of decades, you know, while we've experienced some of our greatest, you know, rates of growth, uh, the, the, the parks department just hasn't had the money. Uh, but now with prop 14, it's, it's really a game changer and uh, really puts them in a position to uh, plan ahead and uh, not just, you know, be triaging, you know, the, to keep the current system, uh, operating, but instead to just, you know, envision, you know, uh, a, a rich network of public lands all across the state and, and, and start acquiring them. Right. And so when we look at our system as of right now, like how, how are, is our state parks system funded in Texas? 
Yeah, well, um, a, a variety of means, but the, the one of the biggest sources is sales taxes on sporting goods. Um, and so, like, you know, if you go and buy, you know, a tennis racket or, or a bike or sneakers, you know. If I go to the, REI and buy something, it probably has a tax on it. Uh, well, it's just the regular sales tax. Um and the the uh, the funding from the sales taxes on those sporting goods are, are dedicated to our state parks. For a long time, they weren't. Um, uh, they were. It was just a recommendation. But the legislature would routinely kind of raid those funds and use them for other purposes. Finally, four years ago, we were able to pass Proposition Five, which guaranteed and put in the Constitution that those sales taxes on sporting goods were guaranteed for our parks. Um, and so that's really, uh, you know, been a major, uh, you know, influx of funding for the parks department. And so now they're, you know, been able to really tackle that backlog of repairs and, um, you know, make sure that we're not having to lay off park rangers, you know, every other budget cycle. Um, and so now, you know, with those sporting good sales tax funds, they're, they're in a you know, stable position. Um, and so that's where, you know, this new uh, Centennial Land Acquisition Fund uh, comes in and, and really allows us to build on top of that. Um, so, uh, so that, you know, that was definitely good news, um, you know, from the 2019 voters, 88% of voters approved that measure. And that really laid the groundwork for us to then go to the legislature and, and pass this new fund. Okay. So that's that six and a quarter cent state sales tax. So you're saying that's not like an extra sales tax. That's just the idea would be that six and a quarter cents from sales tax on sporting goods goes into a dedicated fund that helps, um, I guess, more on the maintenance and operation side of our parks. Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. I think it's the comptroller has a list of, you know, uh, eligible sporting goods. And so then calculates, you know, uh, based on the sales tax revenue, what portion should go to our state parks fund as a result. Gotcha. And a lot of that, though, is still that maintenance operations, not necessarily acquiring new parkland, which requires really significant sums of money. And that's what this this Centennial Parks Fund uh, is getting exactly, at. Exactly. Yeah. This this fund, will it's not used for salaries or maintenance or anything like that. It's only to buy land. Gotcha. And so do we have any idea what this billion dollars could mean in terms of new land? Obviously, we have this goal, you know, from that Texas Tech report of how much new land we need. But what could this mean for us? Can we really buy a significant amount of land with this uh, parkland? I think I read in some news coverage that there's the potential it could be used to leverage additional funds, maybe private philanthropy or funding from other sources. Yeah, exactly. Well, we we wrote a report a year ago, um, uh, you know, advocating for the creation of such a fund. And we estimated that we would need something like $6 billion to you know, add the million acres uh, that we need. Um, and so the, the, uh, the billion that we got from the legislature then, um, we think can leverage uh, private philanthropy dollars, federal funding, and uh, hopefully get us, you know, pretty close um, or, or a good uh, chunk of the way towards that, you know, ultimate $6 billion need. Um, and so we, yeah, we, you know, it, it depends on the price of parks kind of depends on, uh, the property, including, you know, how close it is to urban centers, you know, because, um, you know, uh, suburban or, you know, kind of close into cities, the land is generally more expensive. Um, you know, rural lands are generally cheaper. But, uh, the you know, a lot of the uh, some of our newer state parks like Palo Pinto Mountain State Park, uh, which will open uh, either uh, probably early uh, next year, 
uh, I think was acquired for something like six million dollars, right? Um, and so um, we could this this fund could go a long way, um, you know, create dozens of new state parks. Uh, some some of them will be more expensive. So, for example, there's a uh, a ranch right by Big Bend right now for sale, some like four hundred thousand acres, which is about half the size of the national park is up for sale, I think for like $200 million. Um, I don't know if the parks department, um, you know, if they're looking seriously at that property or not, but um, you know, that's an example of, you know, um, the kinds of areas that we could protect with these funds, but we're going to need a mix of both some of those iconic, you know, um, you know, West Texas parks, but also a lot closer in to our cities, you know, within a hour and a half drive of, of Austin or Dallas, um, and, uh, you know, those are some of the areas that are most at risk of being lost to development. And so, uh, especially important both to kind of save those areas, um, before they're lost and then just make sure it's, uh, accessible for, for most people to, you know, who want to go camping, but, you know, don't want to do the eight hour drive out to West Texas. Right. And do we have any idea what that process of acquiring new parkland looks like? How does the parks department or parks and you know how do they decide what parkland to buy or yeah well right now they're in the process of updating what's called the land and water plan um and that's their kind of vision of um you know what we need to do for conservation in the state and uh in that you know they identify you know some of the areas that are most at risk kind of you know some of the ecosystems that um you know are particularly vulnerable. So for example, Blackland Prairie, we have very little left of, you know, here in Texas. Um, and they also identify, you know, the parts of the state that are more underserved in terms of access to, to state parks, you know, um, you know, especially, you know, our biggest metro areas like, you know, Dallas or Austin. Um, and, uh, and, and so they, you know, they use that as a kind of guiding guidance document in terms of, prioritizing where they want to acquire lands. And I, and I know it is a mix, this uh, particular focus on getting parks close into our cities. Um, and, but then, you know, they are constantly just on the, uh, the lookout, you know, looking at uh, properties that go on the market, you know, particularly larger ones, you know, they, uh, they're especially excited about 5,000 acre or greater um, pieces of property. And they'll evaluate them and see, you know, is this appropriate for a park? Does it have, you know, um, you know, really beautiful natural features? And does they have, you know, opportunities, you know, for for uh, for trails and campsites? And uh, and then when they, you know, find some uh, property, uh, now they actually have the, the, you know, in many cases they, you know, say, oh, that would be nice. So I wish we had the money to, to buy that <laughs> land. Uh, but now now they actually do have the money to buy that land. And so uh, what will happen is they'll. Um, go to if the parks department finds a property they want to buy they'll go to the legislative budget board which is uh made up of um i think five members of the the legislature to get their approval uh to buy the land um and you know the legislature and the governor have, you know made clear that they they want to spend this money and they want you know they want these uh, dollars to, to get out the door and and to acquire land and so um, you know, we're, we're pretty optimistic that the legislature or the parks department is going to be able to make a splash, you know, pretty quickly and start acquiring a lot of land because we think it's given the price of land is likely only just going right. to continue to skyrocket. It's best to just buy as much land as quickly as possible before, it, you know, the price comes out of reach Yeah. or, or worse, the land's lost forever. 
Uh-huh. And then what about on the private philanthropy side? Do we have the mechanisms in place as a state to fundraise like that or to work with donors or maybe private landowners to figure out how to leverage that billion dollars? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, there thankfully there's a great network of nonprofits, you know, the Nature Conservancy or the Trust for Public Land or the Conservation Fund, you know, uh, nonprofits who are fully set up to you know, work to, you know, acquire uh, land. Uh, just recently, you know, here in the local area, um, a very generous, you know, landowner donated, you know, a huge chunk of land in Williamson County, you know, on the, um, you know, the, the gateway to the Hill Country, to the Hill Country Conservancy, um, right? So you see, you know, all the time, you know, landowners either uh, donating land or, you know, working with some of these land trusts to, um, you know, uh, enter into conservation easements. And so, yeah, we have, we have a great network network of nonprofits who are already, you know, talking to, to landowners, you know, in many cases who want to, you know, um, preserve their land and, and kind of keep that legacy um, and, or, or, you know, are willing to, you know, offer a kind of a discounted price um, to, you know, for a good cause, like protecting, you know, land uh, rather than just have it, you know, turn into, you know, subdivisions. Uh, so I think, you know, with that network of nonprofits, they're going to play a critical role in this. And then, the you know, the various sources of federal funding um, uh, that we'll be able to also uh, leverage is going to be key to making this, you know, as successful as possible. Right. And then, you know, kind of tied to this, I know that um, I want to talk about like how long it takes to get a park opened, because I, I know that earlier this year, Texas Parks and Wildlife announced um that six new parks are going to open in the next 16 years or 15 or 16 years here in Texas, which is super exciting. But, you know, when I went down the list and looked at the land that they talked about, I think they said one of them, like the Davis Hill, Hill State Natural Area, they acquired it in 1983 or like mm -hmm. and, and and some of the other land was acquired in the 90s. Like this is like before I was even born and we've just been right. what, sitting on this land for 40 years. Like why? Why does it take so long to get to the point where we think it might open in the next 15. It just feels, oh, that, that kills me. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Um, I, mean, I think it ultimately comes down to money, right? Because it's it's expensive. Once you buy the land, that's only part of it, right? Um, then you've got to, you know, build the, you know, the wastewater treatment plant and they put in the electrical, you know, for the, the campsites and build the bathrooms and the park headquarters, you know, so it costs money to kind of develop it and open it up into a, a state park, a little less money to create a state natural area, um, which is generally, you know, um, you know, has less kind of development in it. Um, and I think the other yeah, parks department just hasn't had the funds to do that. Now, now they're, you know, through the combination of the sporting good sales tax funds and now the centennial fund, uh, I think they're, uh, you know, better set up to be able to uh, both buy land and, and then open them at, into parks or natural areas in a, in a faster clip. And so, um, you know, I think, you know, one thing is that, um, you know, it, it's important. I think it's valuable in its own right to just kind of buy this land and preserve it, um, even if we're not able to open it up to the public immediately, because, you know, for all the uh, natural, you know, resources, ecosystem benefits that you get out of preserving land, um, you know, habitat for wildlife and water quality benefits, et cetera. So I think it is valuable. But, you know, the, the intent for the Centennial Fund is to open it up to the public. Um, and to let all of us, you know, go in and, and enjoy and experience, you know, the great outdoors. And so, 
Um, I think the Parks Department, um, you know, is, is, is real serious about, uh, about doing that. Will the funds from the Centennial Fund be able to use to both acquire the land and develop it so it can be opened? Or does that have to come from somewhere else? Yeah, that'll have to come from somewhere else. And so I think um, that the, the supporting of sales tax funds, though, you know, I think will be a, a good source of revenue for that. Um, but that's also where, you know, I think some of the federal or private philanthropy dollars will probably be real valuable because, yeah, the Centennial Fund is just just to buy the land and, and preserve it. Uh, other funds will be used to kind of open it up. Yeah. And then I'm not sure if you know the answer to this it might be a, a Texas uh, Parks and Wildlife question, but have we given any thought to some of these parklands that are taking a long time to open, like to open them, like you said, as a natural area or something a little less? Like, do we always need a huge, you know, visitor center and and all this, like uh, some trails and backcountry campsites would be nice given the state that we're currently in is that part of the conversation at all do you know yeah i think i think so i think there, there's definitely um uh you know it is faster and easier and cheaper to just create a natural area uh, than than a park and you know some of our you know um most iconic places, you know, are in fact natural areas, you know, Enchanted Rock, you know, uh, for example. Um, and, uh, you know, and those are, you know, wonderful places, right? It's, right. it's not, a not a diminished experience to, to have it as a natural area as opposed to a state park. And I, and I think, yeah, there is, um, the department is, is uh, looking um, at especially emphasizing those natural areas for that very reason, it, you know, just gets it open to the public much faster. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, the funding for this. So you mentioned it's a the, be the creation of this billion dollar fund. Um, where is that money coming from? Yeah, so uh, this year Texas had a thirty two billion dollars surplus uh, for the budget, and so um, the under our constitution, you know, we we don't have we can't just you know, we have to figure out we can't have to balance the budget. We have to figure out what to do with that money, and uh, so the legislature. Um, you know, a big chunk of the money, about half of that, I think, is going for property tax cuts. The legislature also, you know, is investing money in water infrastructure, broadband, Internet for rural areas. Um, and so a variety of different kind of public needs and infrastructure investments. But we were able to convince the legislature that the state parks should be up there on that list and, you know, su succeeded in getting them to set aside a, a billion. So this is uh, not a, any new tax. Uh, it's no new cost to taxpayers. It's just surplus money that we had to figure out how to spend. And so, um, and we're doing it in a variety of ways, um, but uh, including uh, for our state parks. Right. That's crucial to note. This is not this is money that's basically already been collected from us as taxpayers. It's not like a bond election where it has a tax implication. Exactly. And then you mentioned getting this the legislature to pass it. Let's talk a little bit about that. How did this come to be? I know Environment Texas played a really big role um, in pushing for this. How did you all work on this? Because it really was a it became a bipartisan effort, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, Right after Proposition 5, the Sporting Goods Sales Tax Measure, passed in 2019, uh, I thought it was a great time to uh, to go to, back to the legislature and say, okay, now we've got the 
parks department, you know, in a, in a good place, you know, they can manage the existing operations with these funds. Now's the time to start thinking about for the future. And particularly with, you know, the hundred year anniversary happening in 2023, um, you know, we thought this was you know going to be the session to, to make a big push. And especially since we had that big budget surplus. Um, but last year, you know, when uh, all, a lot of the big statewide politicians were talking about how to spend that surplus, state parks was not at all on the list. You know, it was, it was all about, you know, property tax cuts, um, you know, and then, you know, water to some degree, uh, internet, but state parks was not on that list. And so, you know, we knew that we we're going to have to mount a major campaign to, to be able to, you know, convince them to, to make this major investment. And so um, we, uh, we knew that we were going to need uh, strong conservative support in order to get the lieutenant governor, the governor and the speaker on board. And so uh, I reached out to um, a uh, top Republican uh, donor and activist, a guy named Doug Deason out of Dallas. Um, and we had actually uh, met on Twitter and had, you know, a, a exchange about wind power. He was kind of anti-wind power. I was pro-wind power. And we had a civil discussion. We disagreed. Um, but he made a lot of, you know, environmental arguments um, around, you know, impacts to birds, et cetera. And so uh, I figured, okay, this guy actually, you know, legitimately cares about, about you know, uh, wildlife. And so I sent him a message on Twitter and kind of pitched him on this idea. And he wrote back, I love it. Let's do it. And so you know, over the course of, you know, 2022, we just continued to, uh, to talk. And then he ultimately, you know, helped us recruit Senator Tan Parker, Republican from the Fort Worth area to sponsor the bill. You know, he texted the Lieutenant governor and pitched him on the idea. You know, Dan Patrick wrote back, I love it. Let's do it. Um, and, and he, you know, he was ultimately critical to, to getting this, you know, um, uh, for moving forward. And so, you know, uh, thanks to, to him helping us line up our sponsors and kind of, grease the skids with the leadership, you know, um, we were able to, you know, ultimately yeah, win you know, overwhelmingly bipartisan vote. Uh, so Senator Parker uh, authored the bill in the Senate and then Representative Armando Wally, the Democrat from Houston, um, sponsored it in the House. So, you know, true bipartisan effort. Um, but, you know, I think a, a real testament that um, we're, uh, there are still, you know, as in, in our polarized society, um, there are still, you know, areas of common ground uh, that we can find, you know, um, across the political spectrum and, and critical that we do that, you know, both, you know, for the, the merits of the issue. In this case, you know, we're, we're making this historic investment in state parks, but also just to, you know, try and depolarize, you know, the society a little bit. You know, uh, I think that's important for just the health of our democracy and the health of our society. So I think it's a, a real exciting success story for, for both of those fronts. And, you know, it's interesting to me because it's a thing that you all were able to to push through and, and people did agree with it. But it shows, I think, the importance of of advocacy, right? Like you said, it wasn't even on the agenda and sometimes something that has the possibility of passing. It's just it's not there because nobody's asking for it. Right. Nobody's putting in the time to to knock on those doors and, and do the work of of getting it done. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think in this case, you know, it was a mix of one, just doing the work, making the ask, you know, having that bold vision. You know, I think if we had just had a smaller ask, I don't know that we would have succeeded if we had just asked for, you know, $50 million, you know, that's not as exciting as, you know, this big, bold, you know, kind of hairy goal. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, taking advantage of kind of the, uh, smart timing. So the, the centennial of the system, 
you know, the budget surplus opportunity. And, and, you know, I got some pushback from even some of our conservation allies who are like, no, no, we don't want to go to the legislature so soon. Um, you know, we, they just gave us prop five in the sporting goods sales tax. They'll think we're greedy if we ask for more money now. And, um, and I disagreed obviously. And so, you know, we, we, we pushed forward. Um, I had one legislative staffer, you know, email me and say, you know, um, you know, a billion dollars for parks. That's, you know, uh, unrealistic pie in the sky. You know, you guys really need to lower the amount you're asking for. You're, you're making us look bad here. Um, and you know, that definitely gave us pause. Um, uh, but you know, ultimately we thought, you know, um, we had built this, you know, strong bipartisan coalition. We had a, uh, you know, exciting visionary goal. People were rallying around it and, and kind of kept going and, and, and ultimately it would worked out. And I, you know, I think a little bit of, uh, you know, mix of, of, uh, smart strategy, hard work, and a little bit of luck, you know, um, I think, you know, this year folks may have heard about the Fairfield Lake State Park um, uh, saga, you know, where uh, the land is being uh, was sold to a developer, we may lose the state park. And, and that also just really injected a sense of urgency among lawmakers who were mm. really, you know, uh, worried about losing the state park, what a, you know, uh, egg in the face in our centennial celebration to lose a park. And, and so that, you know, that uh, we weren't expecting that to just emerge as such a major issue. And it did. And, and that definitely helped kind of push this over the, the finish line. Yeah. And, you know, before we close, I know that uh, you personally, you and your family have been kind of on a mission to to visit all the state parks or as many as you can. Any any favorites have uh, popped up so far? Well, we just went to Paladero Canyon and Caprock Canyon State Park for the first time um, last month. And uh, man, those are beautiful. Those are just such gorgeous places. Um, and we went at the early beginning of September and uh, it was actually much cooler. You know, we were a little bit like, do we want to go camping in, you know, in September in <laughs> Texas? Uh, but it actually ended, ended up being really nice. Uh, so, yeah, those are definitely beautiful ones. Um, this Thanksgiving, we're going back with, you know, you can't. You can't, uh, Garner is just, you know, clearly mm -hmm. a, a top one. We're going to both Garner and Lost Maples. Uh, Lost Maples just, uh, I saw, made some national publications list as having the best fall fo foliage in all of America. Um, you know, just beautiful, um, you know, maple trees, you know, turning uh, into fall colors like you normally only see in Vermont or something. Um, so that's definitely up there. Um and uh, Kickapoo Caverns, uh, we went there last Thanksgiving. That was also real nice. So, so just so many wonderful state parks. Um, and I'm real excited about, you know, yeah, we're trying to visit all 89 or so. We're, we're in around 50, I think, now. Um, and I've made my job harder for myself, right? So now we're going to be adding dozens of new state parks. And so uh, <laughs> the, the list is just getting longer. Um, hopefully, we'll still be able to finish it before my five-year-old, you know, leaves for college. Um, but, uh, real excited about, you know, uh, all the areas that I don't even know about yet. Like, you know, beautiful lands that are probably in some private ranch right now that, you know, we may uh, be able to open up, uh, for, for the public, uh, since, you know, only five, less than 5% of our land is, is currently open to the public. You know, the, our state parks really often are that's, you know, uh, you know, one rare opportunity for people to get outside and, and really experience kind of nature and wilderness, um, which, you know, we're. Um, losing at such a rapid pace. So really excited about this opportunity. And that was Luke Metzger with Environment Texas. And that's pretty much our show for today. As a reminder, early voting lasts from October 23rd through November 3rd, and election day is November 7th. 
Oh, and be sure to always look up your personalized sample ballot available on your county's website before going out to vote. That way you know exactly what will be on your ballot. The Austin Common Radio Hour is brought to you in partnership by the Austin Common and Co-op Radio. The Austin Common is a local news source that helps Austinites be informed and make a difference in their community. You can learn more about the Austin Common by visiting theaustincommon.com or following us at Instagram at the underscore Austin underscore common. Co-op is a cooperatively run community radio station based here in Austin, Texas. To listen to more of Co-op's amazing lineup of shows, visit koop.org or tune in to 91.7 FM. The show is hosted by me, Amy Stansberry, and produced by John Hoffner. You can find podcasts of the Austin Common Radio Hour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And one quick friendly request on this, if you like our show and you find it useful, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing on your favorite podcast app. It really does help us to be seen and heard by more folks in Austin. So thank you in advance if you're able to do that for us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.